Hey, it's Nathan, and this is day 81 of the Bible in 90 Days, and we're in Acts chapters 17 through 28, which means we'll finish up the book of Acts today. Chapter 17 begins with Paul in Thessalonica, where, after speaking in the synagogue for three Sabbaths in a row about Jesus, he ran into trouble with some local Jews, who rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. This resulted in a believer named Jason, along with other believers, being harassed, detained, and accused of sedition. Under cover of darkness, Paul and Silas escaped to Berea, where they immediately began to teach in the local synagogue. Now, the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness— and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Unfortunately, the Thessalonican trouble came to Berea, and Paul ended up escaping to Athens, leaving Silas and Timothy behind. While Paul was waiting for them, Silas and Timothy, in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. It wasn't long before Paul was invited to the Areopagus to share his faith. People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious, he began. His persuasive speech included these powerful lines. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Chapter 18 begins with Paul meeting Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth. They were tent makers, as was Paul, so he joined them, staying in their home as well. For a time, Paul was able to teach in the local synagogue without harassment, but then trouble came and Paul shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. However, many in the town believed, including the synagogue leader Crispus. Then Paul received a message of encouragement from the Lord to keep working, because I am with you and have many people in this city. While the Jews did raise a complaint against Paul, Gallio, the proconsul of the region, would have none of it and drove them off. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. They arrived in Ephesus, where he stayed but a short time before leaving Priscilla and Aquila there. After a few stops, including Jerusalem, He ended up back in Antioch, setting out from there sometime later for another missionary tour. The last note in the chapter is of a devout Jew named Apollos becoming a Christian under the influence of Priscilla and Aquila in Ephesus. Following this, Apollos went to Achaia to spread the story of Jesus. Chapter 19, by the way, a chapter well worth reading begins with Paul arriving in Ephesus again, where he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No. After learning more about Jesus, 
they were baptized and received the Holy Spirit. There in Ephesus, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Luke next includes the humorous story of Jewish exorcists who got beat up by the man they were trying to deliver. The event became an inspiration for a giant public burning of occult scrolls. The chapter then informs us that Paul planned to go back to Jerusalem and even Rome. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. The preaching of the gospel had led the local people to abandon the worship of Diana, which began to dampen the silver industry. A riot was stirred up, quickly getting out of hand. When the clerk showed up, he was quite distressed, urging the people to calm down, directing them to the local courts to address their concerns. We are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today, he warned the crowd. Chapter 20, another chapter well worth reading, begins by recounting some of Paul's next missionary stops leading up to a farewell address in Troas, where Paul preached so late into the night that a young man sitting in a third-story window fell asleep and slipped out the window. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. The rest of the chapter finds Paul pressing hard to make it back to Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. Along the way, he met with elders who had come down from Ephesus to give them his parting words. He urged, Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. Chapter 21 continues following Paul's journey toward Jerusalem, telling of stops along the way as well as the believers he met at these stops, one of whom was Agabus, who prophesied of Paul's coming arrest in Jerusalem. Paul was received warmly by the believers in Jerusalem, recounting to them what God had done. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they presented Paul with a problem. The Jewish believers in Jerusalem have heard that he's been teaching Jewish believers abroad to no longer follow the law of Moses. The leaders in Jerusalem then suggested he settle this concern by joining four men in their purification rites at the temple, paying their expenses. The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. However, before the seven-day ritual was completed, angry Jews arrived from Asia, stirring up the crowd and seizing Paul. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place, they said. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him out from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. Before the crowd murdered him, however, Roman officers intervened. 
Paul was then given an opportunity to speak to the crowd in Aramaic. Chapter 22 reports Paul's words to the crowd. But after listening for a few minutes, they'd had enough, shouting, Rid the earth of him! He's not fit to live! Paul was taken to the barracks and ordered to be flogged and interrogated. However, as they were preparing to flog him, Paul notified them he was a Roman citizen. Things changed immediately as the officers recognized the legal significance of this fact. The next day, Paul was brought to stand before the Sanhedrin. Chapter 23 finds Paul beginning to speak to the Sanhedrin, only to be slapped in the face at the order of the high priest. After this, Paul incited a controversy over the resurrection. My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out. The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. The soldiers had to intervene again. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. A 40-man plot to kill Paul was discovered by Paul's nephew the following day and reported to the commander. Arrangements were quickly made to send Paul, accompanied by nearly 500 Roman warriors, to Caesarea by night to appear before Governor Felix. A brief letter of explanation was sent along with him. Paul was delivered along with the letter. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. Chapter 24, another chapter well worth reading, begins. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. After Tertullus, whose words can be found in the chapter, made his case along with the others from Jerusalem, Paul was given the chance to speak, and his defense is also recorded in the chapter. Felix, the governor, informed them that he'd make the decision when the commander, Lysias, came. Paul was kept under guard, though with some freedom. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. After listening for a while and becoming afraid at some of Paul's words, he dismissed him. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. After two years, Felix was succeeded, but left Paul in prison as a favor to the Jews. Chapter 25 begins with the chief priests and the Jewish leaders appearing before Festus and presenting the charges against Paul. They ask for Paul to be transferred to Jerusalem preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. However, Festus invited them to send a delegation with him to Caesarea, where Paul was being held to make their case against him. Several days later, Festus went to Caesarea and heard the case, though the Jewish leaders failed to prove any of their claims against Paul. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, 
Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I am now standing before Caesar's court, where I ought to be tried. I have not done any wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving of death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his council, he declared, You have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you will go. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice arrived at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Festus explained Paul's case to the king, who decided to hear Paul for himself. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp and entered the audience room with the high-ranking military officers and the prominent men of the city. At the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus' explanatory introduction regarding Paul's case occupies the rest of the chapter. Chapter 26 opens. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Paul began. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Paul then eloquently shared his story, though some way into it, he was interrupted by Festus. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. After a few more words, he asked the king, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Of course, that was Paul's wish, but it was not to be. The king rose, and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, This man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Chapter 27, by the way, a chapter well worth reading, recounts Paul's harrowing trip to Rome. It began without incident. But after making slow headway along the coast, the time for safe sailing passed. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. Unfortunately, Paul's advice was not heeded and the crew headed for a better winter harbor. Soon, however, the crew found themselves in serious trouble. A northeaster with hurricane-force winds, bore down on the ship. As the, as the ship struggled in the storm, the crew took every precaution to spare it from disaster, but they finally gave up hope. It was then that Paul, after scolding the crew for not listening, also encouraged them. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. On the 14th night, as the ship came into the shallower water, the crew tried to escape. But Paul warned, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. 
So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. In the morning light, land could be seen. So the crew cut the ship's anchors, untied the ropes that held the rudders, and hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. Unfortunately, they caught a sandbar on the way, and the ship, pounded by the relentless surf, began to break apart. The soldiers were ready to execute the prisoners, preventing escape. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. Those who could swim were ordered to do so, while those who could not simply clung to whatever they could. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Chapter 28. Once on shore, they found the island was called Malta and were treated with exceptional kindness by the locals. A warm fire warmed the prisoners in the cold, rainy weather, and Paul picked up some wood to add to the fire, and then was bitten by a deadly viper. At first, the people declared this was the goddess Justice dealing with a murderer. But when Paul survived the bite, they decided he was a god. After this, Paul and his companions were invited to stay with Publius, the chief official of the island. Paul healed the man's sick father, and when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. After three months, they began the trip again, sailing in a new ship, and ultimately arriving safely in Rome, where Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders and explained his case to them. They had heard nothing of him, but wanted to hear more of his teaching and set a date to gather where he was staying. A large number turned up to listen with mixed responses. The chapter and book ends with these words. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's all for today.